0: Hey, this is Olympic champion Scott Hamilton, the real Scott Hamilton, reminding you to listen to the other Scott Hamilton show every day right here on ESPN Charleston, because he's nearly as smart as the real Scott Hamilton, just not as good looking. It's the
1: second hour scott hamilton show on thursday second hour as always brought to you by our friends at cruise chevrolet cruise chevrolet off rivers just north of northwoods mall locally owned and operated if you're looking for a chevy you go in you tell them what you want you test drive something that's at least comparable and then they'll tell you when your new car is on the way it'll be just the right model just the right package and of course in just that perfect color Also, a wide variety of certified pre-owned and other vehicles, and every darn thing priced just right. That's Cruise Chevrolet off Rivers. And remember, always open at CruiseChevrolet.com. Gamecocks getting ready. Play Texas A&M. Three three and a half point spread. What a difference a year makes. Now, I know that in some parts of the world, they're not going to pat themselves on the back because they're only three and a half point underdogs. I get it. You should always want to be the favorite. But a betting line is a betting line. That's what it is. It's nothing more. It's a expectation. It's a projection. It's not the end-all, be-all. But still, the folks in Vegas usually know what they're talking about. And if they look at this line and they set it at three and a half, what you extract from that, what you extrapolate is that the South Carolina program is trending in the right direction and probably also A&M not going in the appropriate direction. Lowest line in 4 years and only the second time in the last 7 meetings that Texas A&M has not been favored by at least 8 points. So Shane Beamer and crew headed in the right right trajectory. And I can't help but wonder this. When do we get that moment? when Spencer Rattler looks like the guy we wanted him to be, that we expected him to be, specifically last year when he was a projected Heisman favorite, when people were talking about him potentially being the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Now he's played well this year, make no mistake about it, but we saw him hit a different gear. Second half of the Kentucky game went eight of 10 completed his final seven throws just looked better He looked like the player that we thought he was last year. Was that the awakening? Was that the moment when he starts awakening like a butterfly out of this cocoon and he just takes off? I know that's a terrible analogy, but you get my point. We do know this. South Carolina only two wins away with six to go to be bowl eligible. The odds are pretty darn good. Really good. And it kind of counters what I said before this season. And I, I stand by this, that they could be better, but the record might not necessarily reflect that. They could they could they could counter me thanks to that win at Kentucky. Because what lays before them three very winnable games can change the narrative of that entire season. You got AM this week, which perhaps the most arduous of the three, considering it's Missouri and Vanderbilt. You could have seven wins going into Florida. Seven wins! And Florida is not a certain L as in years past. Beat Florida last year. Florida looks very beatable this year. Could an eight-win regular season be in the cards for South Carolina? Something to think about. But, but a lot of it will be predicated upon this how have they been able to maintain the momentum seized by winning at kentucky by getting that victory over the ranked wildcats at kroger field have they been able to do that and will they channel it into the game this week against texas a and m here's what spencer rattler said yesterday
0: we still got our work in on the bye week you know nothing changed we had the same type of practice schedules meeting schedules so nothing really changed um so we had that same mindset just naturally you know coach beamer had us in here working um, even wore full pads a day or two so um, yeah that was great and then just mentally for us uh, we knew we, we got another opponent after Kentucky Texas Am and they're a good team and we got to prepare just the way we did versus Kentucky. You know we were uh, aggressive all week in practice we were had a great mentality our, our
1: urgency was up so we just got to do that this week. I have a Spencer rattler. Yeah that's a good way to approach that week. Make it as normal as possible. You don't have to beat each other to death. You don't have to stress and agonize over every little detail of a game plan to the point that you're mentally exhausted by the time the game arrives, but you still want to do the work. You still want to go through the routine of preparing because football, perhaps more than any other sport, is routine-based. And I've discussed it here before, how coaches love routines. Take a coach out of the routine, and they get freaked out. They get so uncomfortable. And players are a lot like that as well. Players are. They get used to doing it this way. They get used to doing it that way, being somewhere at a certain time, doing a certain thing. And when one of those items on that agenda goes off the rails, goes out of line, the way they respond, often not good. And given everything that was seized in Lexington, given all the positives and good vibes that was collected after getting that win over Kentucky, it would have been a darn shame to have it evaporate like steam during the bye week. Beamer made a point to keep things regular but not overwhelming, to work but at the same time relax, and it's a delicate balance. Good on him for figuring that out, but I guess when you're the son of a Hall of Famer, you learn a lesson or two. I will also say this. Rattler getting better with the media. He's not going to get up there – and give you a three-minute John Calipari soliloquy. But he's giving very insightful answers, not a lot of cliché, not as much as before. I give him crops on that. Maybe after he flipped that switch the second half of Kentucky, it also flipped his uh, public speaking. <laughs> Joining us now to say Saitama Hotline. He's an analyst for On3Sports. It's our friend J.D. Pickel. J.D., welcome back. How are you?
0: I'm doing phenomenal, my man. How are you doing today?
1: I am well, and I am ready for week eight in the world of college football, and I'm also ready to pick your mind regarding the improved play of Spencer Rattler and DJU. What are some uh, quick observations you've had of of both those guys?
0: Yeah, I mean, you see both of them obviously playing a lot better, a lot more efficient with the football. Uh, Not so much from a statistical perspective for Spencer Rattler, but I think the biggest – takeaways from watching both of them is how much better the guys around them have played and made their job easier. Like, I think the biggest thing with Spencer Rattler was, uh, you know, he needed to go somewhere where they weren't going to ask him to, to do a lot. That's not a knock on him. It's never been an issue of, does he have, you know, the ability or can he make this throw? Is he athletic enough? It's always been a matter of, okay, well, can they take enough things off his plate to allow those things to be you know, accentuated. And again, Kentucky, I mean, they protected him relatively well. They ran the football, and you saw the result from how well that team played. I mean, the, the exact same thing, I think, can be said of DJ Uyunglele with, you know, the emergence of a guy like Antonio Williams, who has kind of that explosive ingredient we didn't see a year ago. You have some continuity on the offensive line. I mean, DJ is, as, as a whole, I mean, it's been very well publicized, him dropping the weight. So I think that the bigger thing that I look at when I talk about, you know, DJ Uyunglele is, He just seems like he's in such a better place mentally. You know, I mean, just imagining the pressure that was on his shoulders. He's supposed to be the savior of the Clemson football program, stepping in after Trevor Lawrence leaves. Everyone's expecting huge things of him. Oh, by the way, NIL is now a thing. You're on every Dr. Pepper commercial. Like, I just think that was so much noise around him and so much pressure and for Clemson to be able to kind of you know, take some of those things off his plate, similar to Spencer Rattler, I think we're seeing the benefits of that for, for both these guys. So, you know, you got to be excited for both these kids who have, you know, kind of had a, a tricky last calendar year. So, obviously happy to see them having some success.
1: How much does the change at coordinator maybe maybe play into this, specifically for DJ, considering he already had a relationship with Brandon Streeter?
0: Yeah, you know, I think it, I think it impacts it a, a little bit. I think I look more towards the personnel they have available. But, no, it's, it's a huge deal to have the guy who's your position coach who you've spent the most time with now kind of driving the bus for you. I think, I think that's definitely a, a fair observation to make. But, um, you know, I, I think if they had this same kind of experience on the offensive line and they had the same sort of weapons available, if you will, like Washington Clemson last year, I mean, if DJ wasn't making a big play or there wasn't, you know, the the running game somehow popping off for some sort of explosive play, like, it wasn't really happening. A lot of that was self-inflicted from DJ, but, I mean, they were not able to stretch the field whatsoever, so people could just kind of stack the box, keep it all in front of them, and as a quarterback, when you're pretty limited, you know, dimensionally, what you can do offensively, like, it's hard to have any success, so... I think a lot of it probably does stem from from having a new offensive coordinator, but at the same time, I think, you know, the Jim is in the Joes making a big difference down there in Clemson, South Carolina.
1: Joined by J.D. Piquel on 3Sports. Follow him on Twitter at J.D. Piquel. You say something interesting about how much better the people around them are playing. And I've always said, and it's maybe cliche, that that's the hallmark of the great quarterback, the guy who makes the people around him better. But take away the other parts. Take away the offensive line. Take away the receivers, the running backs for both of these guys. Individually, what would you like to see them do perhaps better or to start doing? You know, I think the
0: biggest thing for Spencer Rattler, this is kind of the same song, I guess we're on, what, second or third verse now? I mean, just the decision. There's a lot of times where it feels like he trusts himself maybe too much, and that confidence is, is, you know, why he is so good and why he is so successful and playing the fool he is. But to the same token, like, there's times where you see him force the ball where he doesn't need to force it on a situation where he doesn't need to do that. Like, he, I think, has started to catch on a little bit more that a punt is not a bad play. I mean, a punt is, is one of the better plays in football compared to an interception. So with his decision-making, I would just love to see him continue to take what the defense gives him and be able to just kind of be content with his underneath throw. Maybe it's a check down. I think that's going to be a, a huge, huge step in his maturation process as he continues to get better for that South Carolina team. For DJ, now, to be honest, I don't think there's a ton more that – I'm looking for from him I mean Clemson's playing really complimentary football and he's a big part of that I mean if you wanted to be nitpicky you could say hey let's let's uh, let's hit some more things down field there was a couple plays during that Florida State game one specifically where he left Antonio Williams hanging down wide open but you know I think just being able to see the field is going to be something he continues to get better at and maybe that's the, the point you would make is let's see the whole picture and get through all of our progressions. But, I mean, that's a hard thing to do as a college quarterback. There's a lot of NFL quarterbacks that don't get through all three of their progressions. So, um, I mean, both these kids are coming along really nicely. And like I said, just thinking about where they were a year ago and how much people like myself and yourself, Scott, were saying, hey, we need better from both these guys. They're, you know, better is expected of them. They're the more capable. I mean, for them to be able to have a little bit of success and have the, the weeks they've had the last couple of weeks is is really you know, encouraging, and, and I think ultimately good for uh, for the game.
1: You know, we could play, uh, you know, Monday morning psychologist here and have a blast because we talk about Spencer Rattler and his his confidence and how his decision making is, is often predicated upon that confidence. He thinks he can get <laughs> any ball anywhere, anytime. As do well, DJ. Uh, way more hesitant when perhaps at times he should be more aggressive. Sometimes he needs to go ahead and go for it and let his generational talent come through. I I, I think it's incredibly ironic. Oh,
0: it is it is really ironic. And I think just the access we have to these kids now is, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like I think Spencer Rattler probably took a fair amount of heat for some of the things he did at Oklahoma and some of the things that he quite frankly just said at the high school level. Like that whole documentary that came out chronicling his senior year with other two high school quarterbacks. I mean, that's a lot of pressure and a lot of eyeballs to have at you at such a young age where, I mean, at 19 years old, you don't have anything figured out. And so I, I'm encouraged to see both these guys be able to mature under such, you know, enormous pressure and such an enormous spotlight. Because, I mean, Clemson specifically with DJ, like there is a lot of people expecting a lot of things from that program. And I, I think Spencer Rattler made a great decision going somewhere where, he knew the head coach, you know, was familiar with what they were doing there, and, and you know was able to kind of be not off the radar because you're still in the, the SEC, but maybe have a little bit more tempered expectations of, of what they were you know, hoping for from a program standpoint because everyone was calling him a first-round pick and a trophy winner and all these things when he was in Oklahoma. And uh, to go somewhere with a little less noise I think has, has benefited him greatly. Do you think
1: that to some degree Clemson was complacent last year? And by that I mean JD they have Trevor Lawrence he's gone. They've got they've got DJ Step in and the sample size they had of DJ prior to that was of course the the game against Notre Dame. Um and, and and maybe they just automatically said it's plug and play, and and they also right. had ETN, which was a big a big loss. Make no mistake about that. But maybe they were just caught off guard that it wasn't going to be plug and play. That they would have to diversify. And and to your earlier point, play complementary football more than ever.
0: Yeah. So I actually talked about this with one of our guys who does a great job on our on our Clemson on three side at Clemson Sports, Matt Conley. And he just said there was a degree of that that was for sure evident, just saying essentially like, hey, there was a lot of guys here that had been on campus to where they just expected to go to the playoff. Like all they had heard was how average the ACC was and how they're going to go undefeated and how it's, you know, next five-star quarterback in. Like you mentioned, plug and play, like, let's keep this thing rolling. And uh, the reality, you know, became pretty evident last year in, in a lot of games where, hey, you don't just show up and have that pop, you know on your helmet and, and good things happen it's got to be a little bit more hands-on than that And so I mean I think the the ultimate sentiment for me is all of the change that's happened at Clemson kind of the the uncomfortability they've had to go through this off season with new coordinators and having some some scrutiny around the program or I guess more so you know, towards the program from the external I think that's really caused them to kind of have a, a little bit of a wake-up call if you will so um, no, I think complacency is definitely a fair term to put to it. Now, is it you know 100% complacency and you know 100% you know zero uh, percent on the personnel? I mean, I think there's probably a, a mix of all of that. You know, it's, it's never one thing specifically, but I think you can absolutely point to complacency and say that played a factor last year for sure.
1: I'm JD Bacal. I'm a scout, or perhaps I'm even a general manager of an NFL team, and I am just measuring the physical abilities of each player. Which one am I picking? Which one do I think would be better for my franchise in the pros?
0: You know, Scott, if I'm if I'm making an NFL draft pick, uh, something has gone horribly, horribly wrong in my life, or someone <laughs> made a huge mistake giving me you know the arrangement to an NFL program. Uh, you know, for me, I think it's DJ, and I say that because he has, to my uh, you know, just from my own eyes, given me the best trend, and I think there's more football that he's going to play. Uh, that's going to be, you know, continuing to trend that way uh, for Spencer Rattler. I just, you know, I'm looking at the numbers right now and, you know, more interceptions and touchdowns isn't a great look now against, you know, Arkansas and Georgia. And he's going to have a lot of games the rest of the year to kind of reset and play good football. But I'm looking at DJ and saying, man, I think there's still a lot of rawness here. I think there's still a lot of ability here that's left untapped Get him into our system. Let's get him, you know, under our head coaching and, and, you know, excuse me, position coaching and, um, you know, let's see if we can't mine some of that out of him. I think that would be the way that I would go. Um, but, I mean, if you were to go with Spencer Rattler, there's still tons of ability and maybe you hit a home run there. But both guys will obviously have a chance. And I just side more DJ for those reasons I mentioned.
1: My last question, and we're going to get off topic just slightly. You're, you're, <laughs> I love filling, it. Out, you're filling out your Heisman Trophy ballot. Who, who do you have right now, one, two, and three?
0: Man, I'm Hennon Hooker number one. I think Bryce Young is probably in that three spot spot. I almost put him at two, but then I remember C.J. Stroud exists. Uh, I just think in terms of the stages the rest of the way, like Hendon Hooker is going to have so many opportunities on a national level to just get the attention of a lot of voters. Like that game at Georgia will obviously be huge. Um, there's potential they get a, a second stab at Alabama, which would be, I mean, if you beat Alabama twice, there's a whole lot of things that you're writing home about and probably win a whole lot of other awards. i just look at C.J. Stroud and – there's still a ton of you know opportunities. Obviously, that game at Michigan will be huge. the game at Penn State, which will be huge. But if all things were to be equal the rest of the way, and both guys were to play good football and to kind of take care of business, I just think that the stages themselves lean more towards Penn So, you know, we'll see. It's why they play the games, right? DJ Stroud's been electric all year long. Bryce Young, obviously, you can't say enough good things about him, but. If I had to vote today, Henning Hooker's in my number one spot for sure.
1: And, and let me explore one more thing with you. Let's say that Tennessee gets to Tennessee gets to the SEC championship game, loses to Alabama. I presume they both get in.
0: Sure. So, I mean, my question then would be: Is is that an undefeated you know Tennessee team? Did, did they beat Did they beat Georgia? And is that yes. a, is that a yes? You know, one undefeated loss Tennessee. Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. Then I think you have to. I think you have to. I mean. It would be very difficult to make the case. I mean, we saw it last year with uh, with what happened with Georgia and Alabama, and I mean, I really do think Tennessee gets in as a, as a one loss runner up in the SEC. Now, maybe there's some other things that fall into place to to make that more of a sure thing. Um, but absolutely, I mean, if Tennessee's one loss and only having that one out from Alabama that that wins the SEC, I think the Volunteers are in the playoffs,
1: Scott. Okay, and my last question. Michigan loses to Ohio State or Ohio State loses to Michigan. The only defeat for either team and the win the one who wins that game wins the Big 10 does the other still get into the playoff despite not having the conference championship. Same yeah, division. that's
0: a great question. So the so the the answer to that in my mind hinges very much on what Clemson does. Cuz if Clemson goes undefeated, I think you're looking at, you know, what some of the other variables Having to fall into place because I think an undefeated Clemson gets in. In this scenario, let's say we got a Tennessee with one loss and a Bama with one loss, so they're both in. In my mind, I, I think by nature of the the gauntlet that both teams run, you got to go with the Big Ten champ again. This is in my mind. They don't pay me to be on the College Football Playoff committee, not yet at least, but uh, but for that, that's the way i was working see that on it. shaking out, yeah, working on it. The 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 application's still. Uh, Pending, but that's that's how I see that shaking out. If we have the SEC going down, I think you know some people perceive it could.
1: I take a one-loss Big Ten champ over an undefeated Clemson. Interesting. I, I, I do not think that Clemson, You cannot take a one-loss Clemson team and put it. Looking at the rest of its schedule, if they lose one of the games going forward, that team does not deserve to be in the playoff.
0: No, absolutely. So, are, are you then saying? If it's a a one loss Big Ten runner up compared to a, a one loss ACC champ, you're putting in the, the I would Big be Ten very tempted.
1: Up. I would be very tempted, especially. Okay. I mean, I mean, think about think about that. Think about the metrics of that. You you have an undefeated Ohio State lose. Are, are you saying lose to perhaps Minnesota in the championship? Or, and, but that's yeah. The only loss? I
0: mean, yeah. That that was my pick at the beginning of the year. I mean, maybe it's Minnesota, maybe it's Purdue, but yeah, someone from the Big Ten West falls short.
1: I still take the Big Ten East champ over the ACC champion.
0: Okay, I like it. I mean, I, I'd be hard to disagree with you. I mean, I guess the pushback you'd give then is, like, strength of schedule, right? And, I mean, Michigan, what they did to Penn State. Like, yeah. if, if, if I'm, I actually 100% agree with you. If you have a, a one-loss Clemson, they're probably on the outside looking in because of just the, the nature of what we've seen of uh, uh, Michigan and Ohio State even. I mean, I know the the win hasn't really – Aged like fine wine, but I mean, they beat that Notre Dame team when they were a top five team in the country. And for me, I think you just got to freeze that win at where Notre Dame was at that point in time. You know, had a, a, you know, I guess not a great quarterback, but a starting quarterback nonetheless. They're down to QB2 now in South Bend. They had a lot of excitement. Like, no, I, I agree. I think we're on the same page here,
1: Scott, with that logic. And, and before we go, I'm going to point out, you just said one of the things that drive me absolutely crazy. Like they say, oh, then number 24, Utah, or whatever, or then number 16, Tennessee. I don't care what they were ranked in. I don't care what they were ranked in. The, who they are is who they are. And, and we thought Michigan, or rather we thought Notre Dame was going to be really good at the beginning of the year, or at least better than they are. That's turned out to be false. Uh, A&M. People had A and M ranked in the top ten. We found out that they were a fraud. That kills me when people do that, JD.
0: So here's so here's my pushback on that. <laughs> At that point in time, would you say that Notre Dame football team that played Ohio State on that Saturday was better or worse than the team that played I don't oh, know, so- let's, let's let's say Cal. They beat Cal by like a touchdown or three points, whatever it was.
1: See, there's a couple of different ways to look at that. You could say, yes, that was a good team. They were doing – they were executing. They were completely healthy. They were doing everything they needed to do. Or you could flip it and say Ohio State played down to its competition. I, I really think we just don't know that early in the year.
0: Sure. That's fair. Yeah, I think I think the, the concept of, hey, teams, process, mature, develop, like I'm 100% on board with that. I also think there's something to be said for like the psyche of a program saying – hey, we're a top-five team. They're saying we're a top-five team. We believe we're a top-five team in this locker room. Now, the floor, as we found out, uh, wasn't very sturdy, fell out pretty quick. And I think that's definitely fair to say, hey, the floor is low and they have you know not played up to their potential. But I think just the fact that you know, you're know you giving Ohio State your very best punch, I think it means up at the end of the day. So we'll see. I'm, I'm interested to see how the committee ends up treating it.
1: With, well, uh, you also had uh, with you also the, had the momentum of a new way. coach. You had the momentum of a new coach also that was just True. built up for a whole year jd what's on the podcast this week and when do i get to come on
0: god i appreciate it brother man we got to have you on soon got to have you on soon we're talking a little bit about michigan today we're actually going to go live at uh three central four eastern on our youtube channel and on three and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh let's see what else we're going to talk a little bit about ohio state going to chop up what we know about them uh lsu fascinating program we're going to kind of talk about like the state of are at right now, why Tiger fans shouldn't be hitting the panic button just yet on a, a season where they could very realistically have improvement and, and win seven, eight games, which you know, they won six last year. So, uh, a lot of exciting stuff in the world of college football. Never a dull moment, is it?
1: Not a bit, brother. He's J.D. Piquel. Follow him on Twitter at J.D. Piquel. J.D., you are the man. I'm waiting for my invitation, bub.
0: Sounds good, brother. Appreciate you, Scott.
1: righty, man. It's J.D. Piquel of On3Sports. Follow him on Twitter at J.D. Piquel. I'll say it again. I'll say it again. I'll take a one loss Big Ten runner up even before I'll take the ACC champ if it's undefeated, unless Clemson just blows everybody's doors off. Clemson loses a game, they're not in. You look at the rest of the schedule, man. And, and it's not their fault. It's not Clemson's fault. The schedule is the schedule. They can't help that the rest of the conference is god awful. But. If you're going to compare, you look at what a Michigan is having to navigate, and I'm not a Big Ten apologist, let's make that clear. But you look at what Michigan navigates, you look at what Ohio State navigates, it's just it's way more arduous and way more, in my opinion, playoff worthy. It's the Scott Hamilton show on Thursday.